Like I said before, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Today, uh, I, I, want to, I want us to look at uh, what some might refer to as the sufficiency of Christ, or maybe a more in-depth way of, of saying this is the effectiveness of His sacrifice. Um, today, we want to answer several questions. We want to answer how effective was God's sacrifice of Jesus, His only Son? What did it accomplish? What's the importance of preaching Christ crucified? I have a, I have a story that I found in one of my, my study, study guides, uh, and I thought it was very interesting, and it, it, it's probably pretty applicable to the, the church in the world today. It says, there's a story of an English village whose chapel had an arch on which was written, we preach Christ crucified. For years, godly men preached there, and they presented a crucified Savior as the only means of salvation. But as a generation of godly preachers passed, a generation arose that considered the cross and its message antiquated, old, and repulsive. They began to preach salvation by Christ's example rather than His blood. They did not see the necessity of His sacrifice. After a while. Ivy crept up the side of the arch and covered the word crucified. And only we preach Christ was visible. Then the church decided that its message need not be confined to Christ and the Bible. So the preachers began to give discourses on social issues, politics, philosophy, morals, and whatever else happened to spark interest. The ivy on the arch continued to grow until it covered the third word. Then it simply read, we preach. I want us to look at today what I think, what we should all think is the most important part of Christianity. The most important part of being a child of God. You cannot be a child of God apart from this. Before we go any further, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, um, Lord, I feel the weight of standing before your people, Lord. I feel the weight of proclaiming your word. Lord, I just ask that your words come out of my mouth and nothing more. Father, I pray that your people would have ears to hear. Lord, if there's, not, if there's one here today that doesn't have a relationship with you, Father, today I hope is the day that their eyes are open, their ears are open. Father, I thank you for your word. We know it is sufficient. I thank you for your son. We know he is sufficient. Father, I just ask for you to guide me as I talk today. Father, we just continue to pray for the uh, King Howell family, Lord. I just Our hearts break for them. Father, we pray that you just give them a comfort, Lord, that can only come from above. Father, we just pray that we can be there for them in times of need. Just use us. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we read this story, and you can go back in time and actually see something just like this taking place. If you remember in, the, in Corinthians what Paul was dealing with, uh, the city of Corinth was very sophisticated. It was a very culture-rich place in its time. And the people there 
could easily be consumed. Christians could easily be consumed by everything around them. And yet Paul says, let me get to my verses where we don't get messed up here. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul's only focus for preaching was Christ crucified. Uh, MacArthur puts it like this, until someone understands and believes the gospel, there's really nothing else to say to them. What makes this sacrifice so different than other sacrifices? We, we know that, there, that sacrifices were initiated in the Old Testament. So what is the difference in this sacrifice in the ones of old? So that's what we're going to look at today. We see in Genesis 3 where God made the first sacrifice. If you remember uh, after the fall of man, they seen that they were naked. What did he do? He took skins, skins come from animals, and covered them to hide their shame. Genesis 4, you see Cain disobeyed God. Uh, he didn't bring the prescribed offering. He brought what he had grown. You can only imagine that an offering then would probably still be the same. It, he probably required some kind of a blood offering. Don't know for sure. But you see where there is sin, the penalty is always death. It's always bloodshed. The Levitical priest offered animal sacrifices out of obedience to what God had uh, required. And we'll see that in verse 1 as we start out. But we'll also see that they were only shadows. Now, how much do we know about a shadow? You can see it, but can you touch a shadow? It can actually cover something. But if I shadow my phone, I can still see my phone. It's just a hazier version of my phone. There's no form to it. I can't reach out and touch it. I can, I can see your shadow, but you know when a, a light is cast in the right direction, you might look like a giant. And I'm not a giant. Pinky shadow, there's no telling how big we could make pinky shadow. But you couldn't look at a shadow and tell much about him. You couldn't see his face. You might you could see an outline, maybe an idea of, of what was standing there, but you wouldn't be able to tell that that was Pinky until Pinky showed up, right? So starting in verse 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So, no matter how many sacrifices were made, they were completely ineffective. They were continually offered every year. So, in this old covenant, a priest was basically a butcher. They stood all day long while this process was going on, just killing animals. I, I read... Um, from people way smarter than I am, they said during the Passover at this time, if you remember the Passover was initiated whenever God led his people out of Egypt. He said to wipe the blood of the lamb above your door and then the, the angel of death will pass over you, right? So this event is still celebrated even today. But at this time, they said there would be an estimated of 300,000 lambs, could it be, even be more, slain 
in one week. And this temple had channels that came out of it. And the blood would channel away from the temple, and it would lead into the brook Kedron, I believe was the name of it. It was so massive, they said it looked like this. This water source was nothing but blood. And none of it was effective. 300,000 plus in one week, every year, and it still could not cover sin completely. So you have to ask the question, why did they do this? God initiated it, number one. And then you have to ask the question, well, why? what was the deal with the animal? And we'll get to that. So, no matter how many they made, they were completely ineffective. The, the, the second thing I want you to pay attention to here is that it brought no access to God. Who was allowed to go in and make the sacrifice? The priest. Only the priest. And even they had to be in a current state to go in there. You read some stories with actually tied ropes so when they went in, they could drag them back out after they were dead. Because if they didn't enter in the right manner, it ain't, I'm not talking about leading with your left foot or your right foot. I'm talking about a heart, the heart condition. And it was the same way we're going to see here. But we're going to also see, even though it was a heart condition, it was still completely ineffective. So these animal sacrifices were only to bring a reminder. They didn't sacrifice humans. They took an animal. It was just a reminder that the penalty of sin is death. Every year we have this reminder. Every year we have blood flooding everywhere, but it's never taken care of it. It says there could be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. We see that if you want to skip up to chapter 9, verse 22. It says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. We said only priests were allowed to come into here. So there's no connection to the rest of the people. You're at the mercy of them taking your sacrifice, being in a right state. You're also in the, at the mercy of your own condition. Verses 2 and 3. Otherwise, would they not have ceased, the animal sacrifices, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? So if the animal sacrifices would have been effective and permanent, there was no reason to keep doing them, right? But we see year after year after year, they were cleansed temporarily because just like this shadow that covered something temporarily, it was insufficient. It wasn't permanent. It was going to go away and then it would have to do it again. And guess what happens? When we leave out of church today, we can confess our sins here, but when we leave out of church today, what's going to happen? Eventually, we're going to sin, right? Same thing happened. These people were the same back then, but now they have something that's inefficient, and they're going to leave that day and probably go sin the same way that we are. We're all these same people. We're just on the other side of something. They were doing this looking forward to what was to come. To come. We do what we do looking backwards what has already happened, and we'll get to that. So, the word consciousness here, I want us to pay attention because I don't want you to get lost in this. Otherwise, would not have ceased, and back in, in, in two, 
Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Do you have consciousness of your sins? If you're a believer, do you have consciousness of them? This, this can't be, oh, I just can't think about my sins anymore. They just left my mind after I came to know Jesus. No, they're clear. So I want you to understand what that means. It's from the Greek word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I can't, you won't remember it. It has to do with man's awareness of what's wrong in his life and the guilt that comes from it. So now when we read it in that light, they would no longer have this thing that's wrong with them inside of them that nothing can fix and it's nothing but guilt. We know through Jesus we don't have that. Even though we have maybe some guilt for our sins, we know we are cleansed from that. They did not have that. That's why we were, we're saying it's the same thing every single year. Now, we see here nothing but problems, right? And we're looking for the sufficiency of Christ. So problem number one is it brought no access to God. Problem number two, it could not permanently remove sin. And that leads us to problem number three. The sacrifice of animals was external. Verse four. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The sacrifices never got to the heart of the problem. Now I want you to think about it. In our, in our day right now, sin is outwardly shown because of an inward problem. Most of these people where this, this animal sacrifice thing got twisted sideways was they just showed up with their animal. All right, I'm here. Kill it. And then when they left there, the rest of that time was whatever I want to do, and I come back and I toss my animal out there. It was more of a magical type thing than it was anything. They had, they had no faith in that. I'm just doing it. Because I'm doing it. And everybody else is doing it, and they seem to be okay with their sin condition, so I'm going to be okay with mine, kill my animal, and I'm, I'm out. How easy is it to come in here on Sunday and praise God, and then the rest of the week, we don't look any different than anybody else. We can make a mockery of this thing the same way that they did. Do you believe it on Sunday only, or do you believe it seven days a week? And if you do, it's going to show. So we know an animal cannot pay for the sin of a human. It was never meant to. When God initiated it, it was never meant to. It was meant to show that blood must be shed. Something has to die. The penalty of sin is death. That's all it was there for. There's no power in that blood whatsoever. It was the heart condition that I come to God in this time with my animal sacrifice and I say, I might not understand why this has to happen completely, but you say this is the way it has to be and I trust that I'm bringing this to you, that you have the power to cover my sin, even if it's temporary, even if I have to do it again the next year. Now you got to think about this. These priests stood and Killed, 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 all, how monotonous. 
How easy would it have been to get callous to this, right? But every year you come back trusting God, trusting God. It's the heart condition. It's always been about faith. You can read, and, and this is the perfect, the perfect book to get in. If you want to read about faith, then chapter 11 is great to go to. You see that everything was about faith from the beginning. Abraham. Why did Abraham do what he did? It, God said, Abraham couldn't see what God was saying, but Abraham trusted God. That was faith, that you can do what you say you can do. With Moses, with Noah, they go through the list over and over and over again. It's the same way here. When they didn't come in the right, with the right heart, it didn't matter. Verses 5 through 7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So God instituted this sacrificial system as a way of expressing obedience to him. And over time, they turned it in a way of just using him. Just show up, sacrifice it. My heart is not in this at all. There's no trust at all. Psalm 51. It says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good plea. Sure. Pleasure, sorry. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in, in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Do you see the mindset there? Do you see the heart? Unless you come before God with a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you're just, you're just, you're just going through emotion. If you don't come to God initially with this broken spirit, you're just going through the motions. They were just going through the motions back then, and we're going to look a little bit deeper on that. The old system was created to be a reminder. To sacrifice without obedience was just a ritual without faith and no devotion to God. 1 Samuel 15, 22 is a good one to look at. You might remember this story. This is King Saul. He's just conquered the, uh, I believe it's the Malachites. And they're, they're grabbing what they can. God says, do this. They do something different. They're trying to get their own gain. And Samuel, um, in 1 Samuel, we read this. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see that? And to listen than the fat of, of rams. Better to obey than sacrifice. Better to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So now... This is Saul. He's saying, you're rejected now. You come in the wrong manner. The wrong manner. 
your heart was never there to begin with. And we know from the story of Saul that that dude was twisted from the get-go, right? The people picked him. It was what they wanted. And God showed them exactly why they didn't want a king. Now I've done lost my place in Hebrews. So, we see that God desired an obedience of the heart over ritual sacrifices. They were meaningless apart from this broken and contrite heart. And you see in these verses here, in 5 through 7, it's almost like, it's almost like a conversation going on between the Father and the Son. And some scholars, like I say, way smarter than me, have said it's almost like Jesus is standing on the edge of heaven and He's saying these things to the Father. He's saying that He knows that His body is the sacrifice that takes all of this away. He knows that this is the reason that He will come down. Now, the problem that we have is the sovereignty of God is something that I guess is so hard to understand. We as human beings are reactive. We plan, plans change, then we react to it. But you have to understand that this has been the plan. This will that we're talking about is the eternal will of God. Before creation, before the fall of man, before Satan was even made, this has been the plan the whole entire time. God didn't see humanity fall. He didn't cross his fingers when he made us and said, oh, I hope they don't. He knew. That's an all-knowing. That's a, that's a sovereign God. Not a sparrow falls out of the sky. God knew you were going to be sitting in this church today before the foundation of the earth. Before he said, let anything come to be, he knew you would be sitting here right now. That's how microscopic the sovereignty of God is. Nothing happens outside of his will. Now, knowing that, that this was God's will from the beginning, that Christ should come, that Christ should suffer, and he should go to the cross and pay for our sins. I feel such more faith well up inside me that God didn't say, well, now I'll just, I mean, he's here, let's just go ahead and sacrifice him and we'll call that for the, I'll, I'll be okay with that. It's been the plan from the beginning. So we can know that God's sacrifice of His only Son is effective, we can know it is sufficient because it's been the plan from the beginning. We see time and time again after Jesus comes to earth where He says His supreme mission on earth was to do the will of the Father. But then you see time and time again where Satan, who also knew God's plan, is trying to prevent it from happening. Go with me to Genesis chapter 3. This is about the point where mankind has fell. God has told Adam, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day you do, you'll die. Knowing that, he was supposed to pass the message on to Eve. He might have done so. He was there, he was present, he was responsible. She ate, 
turned around, gave to him, he ate, and now we see the curse being delivered out. We see the punishment being delivered. This is the Lord God speaking to the serpent, Satan. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of, all, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see a devastating blow there. God is saying he's going to crush your head, right? So this whole time, Satan has known of a plan and he's trying to stop it from happening. And you see so many times all throughout Scripture, we see every mouthpiece of God was either killed, every prophet was either killed, or they had attempted murder. They ran for their lives. You see the disciples. What happened? They were killed. Why? Satan is trying to stop this thing the whole entire time. Matthew 2, you see Herod killing all the babies because he heard of the announcement of Jesus. Matthew 4, you see uh, Satan tempting Jesus. And then I want to look at Mark chapter 8. Here's something a little bit different. You have Jesus that's telling of his death and his resurrection. In verse 31 he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not set in your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter came to him probably in with, I'm not going to let this happen to you. Peter didn't know that that situation right there, Satan was actually using it to try to keep this thing from happening. I'm not going to let you die. When we see later, that turned out to be a little bit different on Peter's part. When he had the opportunity, he denied him. But this is the way that Satan works. Now he's working through the disciples. Satan came straight to Jesus, tried to tempt him. Number one, they tried to kill every baby to make sure Jesus was one of them. Guess what? It's God's plan. It's not going to change. I don't care how many people, no matter how many babies you kill, Jesus was going to make it through this because this was his eternal purpose. So Christ's sacrifice was effective because it was God's eternal will. Verse 8 says, when he said, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. So after he said these things, then he said, verse 9, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Jesus is saying, this is your eternal will, Father, and I, Jesus, your Son, have come to do your will. Now, he says, this is done in order that the second basically will replace the first. The old sacrifices are to be done away with because the, the new perfect sacrifice has been made. You don't, you don't need both of them anymore. This audience is, is Jewish. 
whoever the writer is of Hebrew is talking to the Jews. So, you know, this is, this is their rituals, right? You don't need this anymore. This has been fulfilled. The perfect sacrifice has been made. The old covenant was only made to point us to the new covenant. The whole time it was pointing us. Now that the second one is established, the first one has to go away. We know that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. Not only did it accomplish the eternal will of God, but it did away with the old system. The one that was broken, the one that could never cover sin, it did away with it. It was only a shadow. Verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The old sacrificial system only being a shadow couldn't even offer a permanent covering of sins, but we see that God's eternal will of offering Jesus' body sanctifies believers. That is mind-blowing because I know who I am. Sanctify means to be made holy, to be set apart by God for God. If you are a believer, you are holy. You don't feel too holy, do you? I don't feel too holy most days. But our position in Christ. Now, when he's saying this here, I'm going to get super nerdy on you here. It says, when we have, we have been sanctified, this Greek verb form is what is called a perfect participle with a finite verb. It is the strongest way of saying something. They couldn't have said it any stronger than what he says it right here. So taking the nerd out of it now basically says, you have been permanently made holy. You have been permanently made holy. That's a lot to take in. Right now, your position, because we don't act like it, is holy. Set apart by God, for God. It was sufficient. This sacrifice was sufficient because it was God's eternal will. It got rid of the old sacrificial system and it sanctifies the believer. It makes them permanently holy. Something that this old animal sacrifice could never do. Could never do. It couldn't even cover sin. And now you are holy. You can't be holy with sin unless it's covered too completely, right? Which leads us to verse 11 and 12. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It removes sin. You see this contrast here, right? So the priest stands daily, offering repeatedly, over and over and over and over. The same thing that never takes away the sins. Verse 12, but when Christ, you see the but, you know there's always a but God, but when Christ had offered for all time a single one, not multiple, single time sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He wasn't standing up. It was done. Why? Because it's finished. It's done. It's over. Sin has been defeated. Levitical priests stood because it was their job to just keep 
doing this monotonous thing over and over and over, but we see Jesus sat down, is finished, it's over. All the repetition of the old system could never take away sins, but this one act took away it all. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient because it destroys his enemies. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. This one act is going to destroy Satan altogether. He has no power over you because of this one act. This one act defeated death. That's all Satan's got, right? And then look at Philippians chapter 2. And we'll look at the whole, let's say all the way through verse 11, 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others, having this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a good thing to be grasped, a thing to be grasped, it's good, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did they leave anybody out there? Because of Christ's sacrifice, you'll either acknowledge Him as Lord now because you're a believer and you'll spend eternity with Him, or you're going to acknowledge acknowledge Him as Lord later and be separated forever. You will confess one way or the other. Verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus' Jesus sacrifice was effective because it gives the believer eternal perfection. It's something else that's mind-blowing to me. Not only are we holy, but we, we, we will be eternally perfect. We're in that position right now, but we don't act that way. Our eternal state is secure. We can praise God for that. We still sin. We should still be chastised for our sin. 
or praise God when we're shown mercy. Either way, we deserve whatever's coming to us. A good father is not going to let his child continue to go down the wrong road. We know that. You guys wouldn't want your, your own kids to do that. You would try everything in the world. But praise God for that. Because if it's left up to me to stay on the path, if it's left up to me to keep my salvation, man, that's a sad thought. Christ's sacrifice is sufficient because it perfects the believer forever. Verses 15 through 17. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write, write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This is, this is almost a, a commentary, if you will, of Jeremiah chapter 31. Jesus' sacrifice is effective because it fulfills the promise of the new covenant. He said it was to come. It will happen just like this. It happens just like that. It had to come to pass because God promised it. If it hadn't to come to pass, I mean, name a promise that, that hasn't came true. That's not a future promise. God said, I said it, I'm going to do it. And he, he, for it to be effective, it had to be done a certain way. You couldn't take any man and say, all right, I'm going to let him pay for the sins. Why? Because he's just as sinful as the next one. God himself, who is only the only one who is good and perfect, had to come down himself and be the sacrifice. We can't wrap our minds around that. I'm not worth dying for. But he did. And I don't understand why. The writer of Hebrews says the Holy Spirit bears witness to this promise. So not only did Jeremiah say it, so you think of your audience here, they're Jewish. They rejected Christ. And the writer is saying, but you love Jeremiah, you reject Christ. Not only do you reject Christ, you reject Jeremiah too. And now, not only do you reject Jeremiah, now you reject the Holy Spirit. There's some more proof, some more effectiveness, some more sufficiency. The Holy Spirit bears witness. And then in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The forgiveness is permanent because the sacrifice is permanent. It doesn't happen anymore. No longer will there be any more sacrifices. It's not needed. Forgiveness is now provided to those who trust in this one perfect sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to those who reject it, there's no hope of forgiveness ever. There's nothing else out there. You will hear all roads lead to heaven. All these religions, and Kevin has talked about this on Wednesday nights. This is, this is coming up to where they're trying to unite every religion there is into one. It looks a lot like Revelation to me. I'm not saying the end is coming, but I'm not saying it ain't either. All roads do not lead to God. All roads do not lead to heaven. Without Jesus, 
without believing in this perfect sacrifice, without putting your faith and trust in Him, there's no hope. None. You can play it all you want to. You can believe all the garbage that they throw out there. But that's it. That's it. Salvation is promised in the Old Covenant and it's purchased by the blood of Christ in the New. How can we know the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient? It was the eternal will of God. It replaced the old system. It makes the believer holy, mind-blowing. It removes sin. That sin that you know you still have right now, it's going to be gone one day. When you enter glory, this no longer happens. That's why the Christian, that's why Paul could say, I desire to be with Christ, but I'll be here as long as you keep me here. I'll keep doing what you want me to do as long as I'm here, but I desire to be with you. Why? Because I don't fight this. It gets old, right? You fight the same mess every single day. No longer. It destroys Christ's enemies. It perfects the believer. And it fulfills the promise of the new covenant. And if you read on in chapter 10, you actually see where now we draw near to God where beforehand we had no access whatsoever. You can draw near now with confidence knowing that you are covered by the high priest, Jesus. His blood covers you. Even though you're still sinful, you still feel wretched because the blood of Christ covers you, that's all God sees now. It basically does everything that the old system could not do. I was writing this sermon yesterday and I, I find it odd how God works and it's happened so many times now. It's not that it doesn't surprise me, but I just, I'm, I'm waiting for it to happen. I was sitting on the couch typing this up. And my wife said, you're not going to believe what I'm reading in my devotion today. And she shared it with me. And I was like, I got to share it with everybody because it goes perfectly along with what I've got. <clears throat> it says, every person has sinned, but the servant has sufficiently, he's talking about Jesus here, but the servant has sufficiently shouldered the consequences of sin and the righteous wrath deserved by sinners. The servant has sufficiently shouldered the consequences of sin and righteous wrath deserved by sinners. The manner in which God laid our iniquity on him was that God treated him as if he had committed every sin every, ever committed by every person who would believe. Let me read that again. The way God treated him is if he had committed every sin ever committed by every person who would believe. It wasn't just the death. The death was a release from this wrath being poured out when his life was over. That was the peace moment. Every sin, just think of your own sin. I think of mine and the wrath being poured out just for mine. But we're talking about everybody's sin poured out on Jesus. He was perfectly innocent of any sin. God did so to him so that the wrath being spent and justice satisfied, God could then give the account of sinners who believe the righteousness of Christ, treating them as if they had done only the righteous acts of Christ. If you hear 
The offer of forgiveness today, don't let another day pass. Don't let it go by. Don't reject it because you might not have another chance to hear it. I'd ask the worship team to come back up, but in closing, I want to leave y'all with these verses. First Peter, or Second Peter, chapter 3, it says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day as, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. If you're here today and you don't, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, know that the Lord has been very, very patient with you. He does not wish that you, that you perish. He wishes that all of you that do not know Him would come to repentance. A heartfelt repentance. Not, I just feel so guilty. I'm talking about a heartfelt repentance. This, the day is still here. You're still breathing. If you need that, the altar is always open, but come now. If you need somebody to pray with you, whatever it might be, whatever your need, you need somebody to pray with you. Come and, come and save me.